Sask Ag Today is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner. Sask Ag Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Ag Today. Coming up on today's program, we've seen some huge jumps in canola futures this week. We'll hear from PI Financial Commodity Futures Advisor Adam Piccolo on what's behind it and, of course, prices concerning wheat as well. The Tri-National Agricultural Accord wrapped up in Saskatoon Wednesday. We'll hear from the head of the U.S. delegation, Blaine Arthur. She's the Secretary of Agriculture for Oklahoma, and we'll have a conversation with her. Manitoba Agriculture has issued its latest crop pest update. Provincial entomologist Dr. John Gavlosky will tell us which bugs are causing the most problems in Manitoba right now. And the sight of combines and grain trucks on roadways means harvest time and Sask Power is reminding producers to be safe, especially around power lines this season. We'll hear from Sask Power's Scott McGregor. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. With Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. And Phil, we have some thin cloud here in the Yorkton area, and that seems to be keeping our temperatures from climbing. Yeah, it's slowing us up a little bit. Still, I think the potential is there uh, for many of us to, to make a jump over the next few hours. The wind is certainly there to help out. Uh, just uh, as you mentioned, that little bit of uh, obscuring, it's a combination to get those temperatures up. You need the dry air, you need the, uh, the clear sky, and a southerly wind certainly helps. And we don't fully have that clear sky. We have a lot of sunshine, but it's just that the fact that the, the cloud, we have the cloud cover, and it's just not... Uh, allowing a whole lot of sunshine through. So we are going to see the uh, the threat continue for uh, some of this cloud cover to remain, but there will be some areas that get a little bit warmer. So a wide range of temperatures pretty likely this afternoon, averaging around 32, but still some areas stuck in the 20s. Some areas could tack on a few more degrees. The cloudiness is going to be a little more abundant, the actual cloud cover, not just the uh, the smokiness and the haze. So through the evening hours and night time, early nighttime, a couple of isolated showers even pop out. We're seeing a few of those trying to form now, not having a whole lot of luck. As I mentioned, one of the ingredients we need to get the warmth is the dryness. And the dew point is up just a few degrees, and that certainly makes a difference as well. And that's why we've got this wide range. Tomorrow, the warmth departs. It's here now. It does not last. The wind shifts back around from the west-southwest into the north to northwest. It picks up. That likely uh, transports some extra smoke in through the day, along with a slight risk of a shower for the afternoon. The high only around 20. Partly to mostly sunny, 23 on Sunday with a gentle breeze. And then we get into more of what looks to be a pretty average pattern. 17 is uh, where we end up before we get back into the average. A couple of showers roll through on Monday. We're still dealing with a few showers, 19 areas uh, from uh, Yorkton West have a better chance of clearing, but many of us still stuck in the teens. Then Wednesday, Thursday, we're back into the low 20s with cloud and sunshine. That's Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. 
Temperatures around the region this hour. The Paw is at 24 degrees. Swan River, 25. Dauphin and Brandon, 26. Show Lake Russell, 23. Roblin, 22. Regina is at 31 degrees. Saskatoon and Winyard Wadena Kelvington, 23. Hudson Bay, 22. Broadview Mooseman, 26. Indian Head, 30. The Yorkton-Melville region has a mainly cloudy sky, a south wind at 26 kilometers an hour. 61% is the relative humidity. The temperature is 23 degrees. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of 26 degrees and dropped to a low of 8 degrees. There was no precipitation recorded in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is 23 degrees. The normal low is 9 degrees. The sun rose in Yorkton at 5.41 this morning, and it will set at 8.06 tonight. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday. The Manitoba hotspot was Melita at 26 degrees. The cold spot was Thompson at plus 6 degrees. The Saskatchewan hotspot yesterday was Leader. It got up to 36 degrees. The cold spot was Weyburn at plus 5 degrees. And that's a look at your agriculture weather. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will return right after this. Parkland. Welcome back to Saskag Today. A commodity futures advisor with PI Financial says the performance of grain markets this week was mixed. Adam Piccolo says the November ice futures contract for canola was up about $40 a metric ton this week from $762 to around $802. We have seen canola kind of in the last little bit uh, find some support or a floor around the 760 level. And, and now we might be heading back up to kind of a resistance or a bit of a ceiling around 840. That's kind of where we were back on July 18th, 19th before kind of we saw a bit of a decline kind of at uh, through August here. So that will be a little bit dependent on whether kind of the soybean oil Oil and soybean complex in general is kind of finding some stability. Uh, palm oil has been showing some strength as well. Overall, there is there is a bit of a bullish, I would say, kind of feeling to the soy markets right now uh, with some weather outlooks that favor soybeans to go higher. I would say the bull camp is, is really heavily dependent on these weather forecasts, uh, but there has been a rise in open interest on the rally over kind of the several weeks, which should kind of leave the bull camp in control for now. So that's what I'm kind of watching to see if, again, soy markets recover and if that could still help canola kind of move back to that top end of the range. As for the September Minneapolis wheat contract, he says it was down about 15 cents a bushel this week 
to around $8 American. We have seen a very large decline kind of over the last month. Uh, the high on July 25th, we were at $9.48 approximately, and again, sitting at about $8 today. So that's uh, almost a $1.50 decline here in the last month. Now, it seems that the rally kind of has maybe, or sorry, the decline, I should say, is uh, maybe coming to a bit of an end here short term. Uh, there has been some bullish headlines, and again, the deep oversold nature maybe suggests we could see a bit of a rally here. Uh, again, headlines including kind of a large fire at a, a main Russian export hub, the drone attack on Moscow, and even reports actually of India's crop areas have only uh, seen 40% of normal rains. So uh, again, just I would say more bullish factors right now, and, and especially given the decline, it seems that we might uh, be seeing a bit of a pop here in the short-term uh, higher for, for wheat across all three contracts. When asked about drought being a factor for where wheat prices are, Piccolo says it's more of a local issue. Well, I think that's when I talk with clients more about their local prices. So I'm not sure exactly how much of a factor it's it's going to be, you know, on these on the world markets necessarily, because again, uh, of how many you know, speculators there are just on Chicago, Kansas, or Minneapolis contracts. Um, but definitely on local prices, that's when I hear clients say that there's you know certain specials out there or things like that. One thing Piccolo is keeping an eye on is harvest. You know, one thing I'm kind of looking at, especially in Saskatchewan, uh, spring wheat is uh, about 9% harvested, and there is better rains in general, kind of, again, in the Canadian prairies. So, but it is, what I, from what I've been hearing, uh, likely too late to help the crop much. So, um, it appears most of the, the bearish news has been digested by the market, which is, again, why I'm thinking we might see a bit of a bullish kind of rebound here uh, in the wheat markets. Adam Piccolo is a commodity futures advisor with PI Financial in Winnipeg. It's time now for the Beef and Forage Report, and that's a presentation of Priestville Salvage. See them for new and used ag parts. Hey. Beef and Forage Report. The feed grain market in Western Canada is holding reasonably steady as harvest operations progress and corn imports continue to come up from the United States. Anecdotal harvest reports were varied so far, with surprisingly positive results from some growers and others who missed out on showers ending up with lower yields. That's according to Matt Busicom of Marketplace Commodities in Lethbridge. He expects barley yields would be slightly below average on dry land overall, but added the quality has been fantastic with good bushel weights despite the dryness. Wheat crops were also in good shape, which may limit feed wheat supplies if the weather continues to cooperate through the harvest. If there's a wet fall, it could hurt the quality of what's left out in the fields, especially in southern Alberta. Meanwhile, Buscom says feeders have been feeding U.S. corn and have continued to feed U.S. corn right through the barley harvest, noting the imports will cut into feed barley demand and keep a lid on prices. And that's today's Beef and Forage Report. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation 
of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford. EX94, AgriView. Federal Agriculture Minister Lawrence McCauley has concluded meetings with key industry and provincial agriculture and agri-food stakeholders during his outreach to Saskatchewan and Alberta this week. During his visit to Saskatchewan, Minister McCauley delivered remarks during the official opening of the 32nd meeting of the Tri-National Agricultural Accord, which was held in Saskatoon. On the margins of the meeting, Minister McCauley met with Saskatchewan Minister of Agriculture David Merritt to discuss the priorities for Saskatchewan's agricultural sector, including challenges related to extreme weather. Minister McCauley also met with representatives from the Agricultural Producers Association of Saskatchewan, where they shared their perspectives on opportunities and challenges for the region, with a focus on climate change, resiliency, and sustainability, while providing economic growth and stability for the sector. The United States has escalated its objections to Mexico's curbs on genetically modified corn imports, requesting a dispute settlement panel under the North American Trade Pact. The request to send the dispute to arbitrators was announced after formal consultations failed to resolve deep divisions between the two close trading partners over use of genetically modified corn widely produced by U.S. farmers. Mexico's economy ministry says it would defend its GM corn policies before the dispute panel, saying on the social media platform X that they are consistent with trade obligations. Washington alleges that Mexico's decree banning imports of GM corn used in dough and tortillas for human consumption is not based on science and violates its commitments under the Canada-U.S.-Mexico Agreement on Trade, launched in 2020. If the panel rules in favor of the U.S. and Mexico fails to comply with its directives, the U.S. could ultimately win the right to impose punitive tariffs on Mexican goods, which could spark a rare North American trade war. The owner of one of Canada's major commercial maltsters says its takeover by a major French peer won't be challenged by Canada's antitrust regulator. United Malt Group, whose Canadian assets operate under the Canada Malting banner, last month locked in on a previously announced deal to sell itself to France's Maltery Soufflé for $1.3 billion Canadian. Sydney, Australia-based United Malt and Soufflé reported August 7th they now have written confirmation from Canada's Commissioner of Competition that the office does not intend to make an application to challenge the transaction. Thus, United Malt says the condition for Canadian regulatory approval will be satisfied if the Commissioner's notice isn't reversed by August 23rd. Prince Edward Island Premier Dennis King has named a new top bureaucrat for the province's Agriculture Ministry and others to manage a fresh round of post-election ministerial mandate letters. Gordon McFadden, most recently Executive Director of Fiscal Management and Assistant Secretary to Treasury Board with the Provincial Finance Department, was announced August 8th as Deputy Minister of Agriculture, replacing Brian Matheson.
Matheson, who was shuffled to Deputy Minister for Transportation and Infrastructure, had just been named Deputy Minister for Agriculture in April after holding the title on an acting basis since June of 2019. During his stint as Executive Director for Fiscal Management, McFadden was responsible for the provincial budget and quarterly forecasting. Canopy Growth Corporation says it has signed a deal to sell its facility in Smith's Falls, Ontario, that was once home to a Hershey chocolate factory, back to the chocolate maker. The cannabis company says Hershey Canada has agreed to pay about $53 million in cash for the property. Canopy, which has been selling assets and working to cut costs, says net proceeds received from the sale will be used primarily to pay down the company's senior secured credit facility. The company announced earlier this year that it was winding down operations at the Hershey Drive facility as part of a plan to lay off 800 workers. The sale follows the centralization of the company's post-harvest manufacturing at its former beverage facility in Smith's Falls and the consolidation of its flower cultivation at the company's sites in Kincardine, Ontario and Kelowna, B.C. And be sure to listen to the latest SaskAg Today podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Please stay tuned. SaskAg Today will return right after this. If there's a pile of... Back to SaskAg Today, I'm Doug Falconer. It's mainly cloudy and 23 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour. The Tri-National Agricultural Accord wrapped up in Saskatoon Wednesday. The head of the U.S. delegation was Blaine Arthur, Oklahoma's Secretary of Agriculture. She says she really enjoyed the experience. You know, certainly uh, my first time to come here to Saskatchewan. Um, it actually looks a little bit like home in Oklahoma, so we're certainly glad to be here and enjoyed the tours that we had, the ag tours the first afternoon. Uh, but really, from a Tri-National Accord perspective, I uh, was so appreciative of uh, the host uh, that put the event together here for us, uh, but then certainly our friends both in Canada and Mexico coming together so we could all have some good discussions on issues that are important to all of us involved in agriculture. She outlined some of the issues they discussed. You know, I think uh, certainly one that really kind of rose to the top uh, for all of us in those bilateral and trilateral discussions uh, were animal health um, and emerging diseases and foreign animal disease. Um, as we know that lots of animals cross those borders every single day between the U.S. and Canada and Mexico pretty regularly. And as we see things like African swine fever that has moved its way across the world and deciding how can we make certain we are as prepared as possible for any disease that might impact us and I think certainly what we heard from a producer stakeholder perspective was they want to hear from both the state provincial and federal government that there is a plan how that plan is going to impact them so that they can plan on their end and that was really important to hear. Arthur says they have plans in place if something like African swine fever is discovered 
on this continent. You know, almost immediately, and that's a lot of the discussion that we had here was we've done so much planning in the United States, certainly, with our state and federal partners, uh, but making sure that's aligned uh, with our friends here in Canada and in Mexico, uh, because when we start shutting down uh, movement of animals, when we start shutting down that food supply chain, that very quickly causes a lot of challenges, certainly here in North America, but also sometimes across the world when we talk about exports and all of those pieces. So it will be immediately planned going into action. But one thing we had a lot of discussion on is to make sure there's clarity uh, between the countries on the expectations of each other um, and then that we're communicating that well to producers. She firmly believes that North America is the best neighborhood in the world to live. I certainly would agree with that. I think uh, certainly uh, from an ag perspective, we're tremendous ag producers, uh, but I don't think a lot of times those lines um, are as distinct as some folks might think they are. You know, we've got lots of producers that produce in all three countries. I'm always amazed at how many folks we have in the United States that do business here in Canada, and it's because of that collegiality, um, and we are just a kind of a giant neighborhood. I love phrasing it that way, and all trying to achieve the same goals and we know we've got to work together. Arthur then talks about the state of agriculture in Oklahoma. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we were uh, had suffered through one of the worst droughts that we had had since the 1930s in Oklahoma, um, kind of backing up 18 months from April of this year, about May of this year, we did start getting some moisture, uh, which we were very fortunate to receive, and we are a huge wheat. Uh, now, we grow hard red winter wheat, uh, wheat and cattle state. Uh, we're actually number two in beef cattle production in the United States in Oklahoma. Our big challenge was is that we had a lot of our cattle producers that reduced their herds and some of them even sold off the majority of their herd because of the drought situation. Uh, no pasture available. You couldn't find hay kind of anywhere. So now we're very much in a rebuilding phase on the cattle side of things. Um, cattle numbers are kind of at an all-time low uh, since the 70s in the United States. And for a beef-producing state, uh, we're trying to think creatively how we can help that particular industry kind of get back on their feet uh, and hope that it keeps raining as well. She says the situation in Oklahoma is similar to Saskatchewan. Tremendous similarities and you know hearing here the first day uh, about some of the drought situation and those impacts and you know it's been said a, a couple times over the meeting that you can make all the right decisions but when mother nature's your business partner um, it can really throw things askew when she doesn't cooperate and so I think uh, there's always things we can learn from each other and preparing for uh, drought situations and so had some good conversations about that as well um, as we were able to turn around on Monday. And Arthur says they had an early harvest in Oklahoma this year. Uh, absolutely. Our, our wheat harvest at home typically uh, would be the first part of June, uh, but because of the drought situation, it was just kind of salvaging uh, everything that you could. Um, now that we've gotten some moisture, they'll get back out into the fields uh, to start putting wheat in actually here in the next few weeks. Uh, we do a lot of graze and grain wheat, so we uh, plant that wheat early September, uh, kick stalker cattle out on it, uh, and run them through the spring. So uh, optimistic uh, that uh, the weather will cooperate a little bit better, but producers, I think, very thoughtful after having just come off a tough drought situation about their planning and decision making. Blaine Arthur is Oklahoma's Secretary of Agriculture. She was at the Tri-National Agricultural Accord in Saskatoon this week. Livestock Market Conditions
U.S. live cattle futures for October closed at 178.82 today. That's up 50. December live cattle closed at 183.17, up 65. September feeder cattle closed at 248.52, that's up 140. October feeder cattle closed at 250.70, up 137. October lean hogs closed at 82.12, up 297. December lean hogs closed at 74.50, up 250. And that's the livestock market conditions. Manitoba Agriculture has issued its latest crop pest update. Provincial entomologist Dr. John Gavlosky says ligus bugs are causing issues in Manitoba crops this week. Ligus bugs feed on a lot of things. This is the problem. And they move around during the season as some of their host plants mature and other things are a bit younger. And ligus bugs like to feed on buds, flowers, and young seeds of plants. So they'll feed on alfalfa, they'll feed on canola, beans, uh, mainly dry beans, uh, sunflowers. So recently, over the last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of them moving into some of the uh, canola crops. And they will, again, they'll feed on the young seeds. Now, once the seeds start to harden, then the ligus bugs can't really feed on them anymore. And they'll move on to look for other things to feed on. So we're, we're kind of at the stage where there was some issues in canola and uh, some fields that need to be treated for ligus bugs. But a lot of the crops uh, have gotten to that stage where they are now uh, a bit more resistant to the ligus bugs just because the seeds have firmed up and the ligus can't really feed on them anymore. Yeah, it's flea beetles are still a problem as well. Flea beetles, uh, we see the adults twice. They've got one cycle per year but we see the adults twice. They overwinter as adults. So the adults that will overwinter are coming out, and we are seeing some fairly high levels in some areas. So people are keeping an eye on things because they will feed up on the plants. They like some of the younger pods. Uh, when, when the leaves start senescing and like, there's not a lot of green leaf material on the plants, what they will do is they will move on to the young pods and feed on the surface of the pods. Now, it takes a lot of flea beetles to do significant damage in a mature crop, but there are a lot of flea beetles out there, so some people are just keeping an eye on the levels in their canola. Gavlosky says there's also been reports of diamondback moths in Manitoba. So diamondback moths, they go through several cycles uh, of season when they get here. And they're an insect that doesn't overwinter here. They blow in. And we did have some issues with them earlier in the season. We're into another cycle. They're, in some fields, the larvae are still quite noticeable. In other fields, they're turning into pupa, uh, kind of finishing up the cycle that they're in. So uh, not a lot of fields where they're quite numerous still, but there are some. So again, one, one more thing that some of the canola growers are keeping an eye on. As for green clover worms. So green clover worms, they feed, they're a caterpillar, and they will feed on things like soybeans and dry beans. And where a lot of people are noticing them is in some of the soybean crops. Now, they're a deceiving uh, caterpillar, or at least their feeding can be deceiving, because they like to concentrate their feeding on the upper leaves. 
So when a person is walking through the field, they see a lot of feeding on the upper leaves. It, it looks bad when you see this, but you, you, you need a lot of feeding, uh, at least 20 to 30% defoliation overall on the plant for it to be economical, uh, depending on the stage of the crop. So we're, we're encouraging people, look at the whole plant, not just those upper leaves when you're trying to assess how bad the defoliation is from green clover worms. The other thing to consider, once your yield has been formed, once the seeds are fully formed on the soybean plants, you probably don't need to be worrying about them too much. Your yield potential is already set. They really don't, usually they don't do a lot of pod feeding. So once again, we're probably getting to the stage where they will be less of a concern to the soybean growers. But Gavlosky says soybean aphids are not much of an issue in Manitoba anymore. Well, actually, uh, levels have been declining in a lot of areas. Uh, We saw them building for a little while, and I only know of one field where part of the field got sprayed. But in most cases, things seem to have plateaued, and in some cases, populations are even dropping, which sometimes does happen with aphids. A lot of people are reporting some high levels of the aphid predators, so Things like lady beetles and their larvae, lace wings, pirate bugs, damsel bugs, uh, hoverfly larvae. There's a lot of things that like to feed on aphids. And um, so we're getting some reports of quite high populations of aphid predators in some of these fields. And the aphid level is actually going down. So recently, I'm not aware of any control being needed for the soybean aphids. Things, like I said, seem to have stabilized. He says grasshoppers vary from region to region. Yeah, and it's quite variable. Some areas we still have some quite high levels of concern. Other areas, not so bad. This time of year, they move around. The egg hatch was done a long time ago, so what's here is here. We're not getting any uh, hatching out, but they do move around. So as some crops mature and become less appealing for feeding on, they will move looking for greener vegetation. In some instances, they might be coming to field edges, which is where they'll end up laying a lot of their eggs, uh, or they might be seeking out other green crops that are still maturing. So in some areas, it might appear that there's more grasshoppers showing up. That's not through new egg hatch. That was done a long time ago. That's just the grasshoppers moving around, which happens this time of year. And Gavlosky says fall field crickets can be good and bad for your crops. Fall field crickets are what we call omnivores. They feed on mainly plant material, but they opportunistically will feed on other insects and insect eggs. Now, they're not gonna, they don't hunt for prey like some insects where they're seeking out and preying on live um, prey so much, but they will actually locate and feed on grasshopper eggs in the soil. So they're not going after the adult grasshoppers, but they will feed on the eggs. So they can have that good side to them. They are grasshopper egg predators, but they, and they eat a lot of seeds and things on the ground, a lot of weed seeds too. Occasionally you will see them climb up onto plants and feed, and we think they do this more if they're seeking moisture. If an area has been quite dry and they really need moisture, sometimes they will climb the plants. And we have seen them even feeding on wheat kernels. And last year we had some instances where they were feeding on canola pods as well. 
Now, usually this isn't an economical thing. There's exceptions, but normally it's kind of lower levels. Uh, often they're getting what they need more on the ground through a variety of sources, plants and grasshopper eggs and things. Dr. John Gavlosky is the provincial entomologist for Manitoba Agriculture, and he's based in Carmen. Please stay tuned. Your commodities update is coming up in 90 seconds time. We're here. Commodities update. Canola futures closed up across the board again today. November canola closed at $800.50. That's up $5.30. January canola closed at $806.20, up $5.10. September Minneapolis wheat closed at $802 and three quarters. That's up 15 cents. September Kansas City wheat closed at 7.53 and a half, up 20 and a half cents. September Chicago wheat closed at 6.13 and a quarter, that's up 23 and three quarters of a cent. September corn closed at 4.79 and a half, up six and a half cents. September soybeans closed at 13.62 and three quarters, that's up 26 cents. September oats closed at 4.38 and a half, up three quarters of a cent. And that's the commodities update. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. I'm Doug Falconer. The president of the Saskatchewan Association of Rural Municipalities is keeping tabs on Alberta's announcement of pausing renewable energy projects. Alberta Premier Danielle Smith claims the pause was made after the Alberta Utilities Commission and the Alberta Electric System Operator asked for it in a letter sent to the government in July. However, neither entity asked for a moratorium. Instead, the Utilities Commission said they needed to help to address a high number of renewable and thermal power applications, as well as development on high-value agricultural land and how to reclaim them once work is completed. The Alberta electric system operator simply thanked the government for informing them that the government was planning to impose a moratorium. Ray Orb of SARM gave his thoughts on the matter. Well, it kind of drew uh, drew my attention, you know, because I, I did see that in the news and I, I understand where uh, Alberta is coming from on that. And I saw the reaction of the president of the RMA and I, I totally understand where he's coming from. I think it's something we're taking note of. Uh, I don't think we have that many projects yet in Saskatchewan as, as that are taking up, uh, you know, agriculture land. Uh, but it's something, you know, that we have a concern about. I'll be honest, I think that uh, if too much land is taken out of production in this province, um, you know, it's not going to bode well for the provincial economy. So um, it's something that our members haven't flagged yet, but um, it may be on the agenda. I mean, we have uh, we have a midterm convention coming up in November, and we have an annual convention coming up in March. Orb is aware of at least one rural municipality in Saskatchewan taking on a renewable project. Yeah, the, the one I can think of, the latest one that is significant size would have been uh, would have been Lake of the Rivers. That would be RM number 72. So that would be in the Assiniboia area. There's a fairly big uh, wind project there in that area. And I know 
the uh, Reeve is a former SARM director, so we were, you know, quite familiar with uh, with that project. Yeah, you know, gaining information from him, especially you know what once what is up and running. But I mean, there's a consultation process that has to be undertaken. Uh, the ratepayers, you know, when the RMs have to be on site, and and you know, especially the adjacent neighbors, things like that. So there are regulations as to where those kind of farms can go in. So we're we're keeping our prize that way. We also heard of another one. I think it was in the Kipling area. We don't know a lot about that yet, but we know there is one proposed in that area. And uh, I'm sure in the near future we may be hearing about that in the news. We haven't heard anything from the RMs in that area. But uh, it has, we know it, it has been discussed in, uh, in circles in that community. Or believe SARM members are not against green energy, but doing it at the expense of valuable agricultural farmland is a concern. And also, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking that uh, the taxation is an issue as well, uh, because I understand uh, fast power build facilities. Uh, there isn't taxation involved. There is, uh, you know, there's grants, grants in lieu of taxes and things like that, but uh, they don't seem to come close to actual taxation that uh, private companies would actually have to pay to operate those facilities. So there's kind of a it's a taxation issue there as well uh, with the uh, with the wind uh, power generators as well. And so um, saying they're generally supportive, I think they are if, uh, if they are approved in, in those RMs that uh, have residents uh, that are acceptable of that certainly is uh, something that's done probably through the planning and development process. That's Ray Orb, the president of the Saskatchewan Association of Rural Municipalities. With the Saskatchewan Barley Development Commission and the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission, is now open. Sask Barley will have three director positions open, while Sask Wheat will be looking to fill four open director positions, pending regulatory approval to increase board size from seven to eight directors. The deadline to receive completed nomination forms for both organizations is September 6th at 12 noon. Should the organizations receive more nominations than there are director positions available, Elections will be declared and held during the period of October 19th through November 29th. Nomination forms and election information can be found on the websites of each commission, saskbarley.com and saskwheat.ca. It's now 1 o'clock in Saskatchewan, 2 o'clock in Manitoba. Time to check the GX94 precision weather forecast for the Quill Lakes. Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Partly sunny with a 20% chance of isolated showers and thunderstorms. Winds south-southwest at 25 to 40 with higher gusts and a high of 32 degrees. For tonight, partly cloudy. Winds west-southwest at 25 to 40, then diminishing a low of 15. For tomorrow, partly sunny. Winds north-northwest increasing to 20 to 40, a high of 20, an overnight low of 9. For Sunday, partly to mainly sunny. Winds west at 10 to 20, and a high of 23. For Monday, mainly cloudy with a 50% chance of showers, a high of 17. And Tuesday, a 60% chance of showers, 
a high of 19. In the Paw, it's 24 degrees, Swan River 25, Dauphin and Brandon 26, Show Lake Russell 23, Roblin 22. Regina is at 31 degrees, Saskatoon, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington 23, Hudson Bay 22, Broadview, Mooseman 26, Indian Head 30. The Yorkton-Melville region has a mainly cloudy sky, a south wind at 26 kilometers an hour. 61% is the relative humidity. The temperature is 23 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for Saskag today for today. Be sure to tune in again on Monday at 12.15 Saskatchewan time for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. CJGX Yorkton, a Harvard Media radio station serving Saskatchewan and Manitoba. We are GX94. Saskag Today has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner.